The Law Report with Tyrone Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on the Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics we discuss here on the Law Report. And just before we begin, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list and then you can choose which of those documents you'd like to have. Well, I'm joined once again this evening by attorney Nicolene skuman Lo, a director of Skuman-Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Nicolene, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It seems like just yesterday you were here last. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, if you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892 2010. We do have a few emails to get through, but if you'd like to call in the meantime, you can leave your name and contact details with my producer and we'll call you back the moment we're done with these emails. Right, the first one, Nicolene, is from David. It's quite a long email. He says um, he's writing on behalf of my mother, uncles and aunts about my deceased aunt's house and wondering if you'd give us or give them some advice. Mm -hmm. My aunt died in 2013. She was a divorcee and did not have children, but is survived by three sisters and three brothers. Her elder sister, which is my mother, says David, lives in Soweto and all her other siblings live in the villages and townships north of Pretoria. My aunt had a good sense of building herself a house in the village of Madidi, which is north of Pretoria, for when she retired. She did this while still working as a domestic worker in Johannesburg. One can appreciate the fact that this project took her quite a long time because she was building from her savings from her domestic worker salary. My aunt decided to accommodate her late sister's child, my cousin, David's cousin, in her house in the late 1990s early 200s when he was early 2000s gosh 200s that's, that's very long ago <laughs> um, early 2000s when he was evicted from a housing complex in Fordsburg Johannesburg because he had boycotted to pay rent this was a decision my aunt lived to regret to her grave because my cousin gave her a lot of problems for example he did not con contribute anything to the running of the house such as buying electricity and groceries and made no effort to find a job as such my aunt also found it in her heart to contribute to the maintenance of his two daughters if she could afford it the problem that my aunt's siblings are facing now is that she died without a will. However, my mother found a notebook in her tin trunk in which she had noted her expenses with regard to the building of the house. She'd also written her wish of what was to happen to her property when she died. My mother showed the family members who were gathered in my aunt's house after the funeral, including my cousin. The notebook was circulated and all of us, including my cousin, identified the handwriting in the notebook as that of my aunt. In her own writing, she indicated who among her niece, nephews and nieces should inherit what from her. She wrote that the biggest inheritance, her house and immovable items, should go to my uncle's daughter. The problem that my aunt's siblings are faced with now is that my cousin is claiming ownership of the house. He claims that he has incurred expenses towards the building of the house and mentions amounts which are forever changing. What can my mother, aunts and uncles do to have this matter resolved? Am I correct to assume that because my aunt was not married nor had children, and also because she did not have a will, the people who can inherit her property are her siblings? Long, terrible story, but aunt sounds like she had a heart of gold and ended up paying for it in the end. So, yeah, sad it's case. Very much unfortunate. Um, at, this, at this point, you know, um, what is seemingly happen happening here is that that the cousin or David's cousin wishes to um, um, basically 
lay claim to the property um, on the basis of having contributed to the building works and so on and so forth. Um, you know, that's not a de facto position. In other words, you cannot just claim against something without proving your claim first. So I always say you can't compare apples and pears to one another um, in, in layman's terms. So in a nutshell, if the cousin um, feels he has a claim, then he needs to approach a court of law and prove that claim. And if it is successful, it may very well become a claim against the deceased estate. And then, practically speaking, yes, there may be um, some monies that will have to be paid or a set-off of some sorts that may have to happen. But first things first, you need to prove your claim. And given the evidence in the notebook, I doubt that, that, that would, uh, you would be able to, to make such a claim. Um, as for the notebook and whether that really constitutes... Um, legal standing or has any legal standing in terms of proving what the the deceased's intentions were. Um, unfortunately, if it wasn't properly termed and properly signed as a will, um, there's a lot of case law around the topic that it's also not generally accepted as someone's last will if, if it's not in the proper format. So long story short, um, in, in a nutshell, the People who would have a claim, yes, would be the brothers and sisters. What and about those, the nieces and nephews or just the brothers and sisters? Just the brothers and sisters, generally speaking. Uh, the nieces and nephews of predeceased brothers and sisters may represent them at the inheritance. But um, generally speaking, it only goes down the one level of affinity. It doesn't go down the second, unless, of course, someone has predeceased um you uh, as the deceased so so at this stage if there's no other claim it would go amongst the brothers and sisters yes okay but now what is david's next move i mean because they're going to have to move on this night somebody I, needs to i would advise them to get some uh, legal counsel hire yourself an attorney in other words if if money's of concern go through the pro bono structures of the law society and um you'll you'll have to probably this will be a long legal battle, probably also in involving an eviction. Um, I presume the cousin is still living in the house, um, which means no one else can live and enjoy. So that, that means that you'll probably have to bring an eviction application in addition to whatever claims of the cousin you'll have to defend. When you're talking about claims, would he have to prove with sort of receipts and invoices and yeah. that, that kind of thing that he paid for the house yes, or whatever exactly. by all accounts he didn't pay for anything or what David exactly. says and then at, <clears throat> at most if he can prove any claim it would be a claim against the estate and if there were cash then of course that's where the claim would be but again I even if he had contributed to the renovations in the building I'm, I'm very um, I'm, I'm not convinced that he will be able to prove that he's got some stake in the ownership at most not even, in my view, alone uh, between him and, and the now deceased aunt. I mean, there was, there's no evidence of any such agreement. So um, even if he had contributed to the building but he didn't pay a rent, then it could easily be argued to the converse that you've done this out of your goodwill and it is what it is. You know, it was an expense. We acknowledge that, but you're not entitled to reclaim it. 
or to claim it so back. The cousin's claim is looking very dodgy right now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I I'm, I would be very surprised if it would go anywhere based on what we know here. Right. Well, there's another David who says I recently received a letter from the Free State Master of the High Court concerning the estate of my late grandmother. The letter states that my grandmother's will is rejected in terms of Section Two I A V. What is the worrying fact is that the will was initially approved and I was granted the letter of authority to take control of the estate. This letter comes at the time I'm right waiting and at time I'm waiting for a response from the Free State Law Society concerning the eviction of an unlawful occupant. I was also told that the estate is intestate and it should be shared by the two children of the deceased and all the grandchildren of which there are many. Now the problem is that it's a very small estate to be shared by almost everyone. It's just too impossible and created conflict in the family. I'm now confused by the decision of the master to say the will is now rejected after initially accepting the will and granting the letter of authority. The only thing that was left was to evict the unlawful occupant. Is there any way I can contest this decision? What institution can help? Why would they give him a letter of authority to take control of the estate and then reject the will? Well, um, Section 21A5 is... Uh, relates to someone signing a will by making a mark and that has to be done in a specific way and it has to be done in the presence of a uh, commissioner of oaths oh, so right. okay. if this wasn't properly done so your will wasn't properly signed um, when you report your estate you have a set of documents that you fill in and one of um, and once you filled in all those documents, you submit that together with the original will to the master. They open a file, and once they've examined all the documents, they then issue the letter of authority or the um, letters of executorship, depending on how big the estate is. In many instances, for some reason, the examination process doesn't happen properly, or it's an oversight, or whatever the case may be. For some reason, it's accepted, and later on, someone, usually the master himself or the assistant master, if the master himself is is not on duty, when they examine all the documents to sign the letter of authority, they usually pick up discrepancies. Or, of course, if the file is opened and you uh, advertise the estate, and all of those things start to happen, and one of the ears actually looks at it and raises an objection so many factors could could actually contribute to the letters of authority being issued and the will being accepted on a preliminary basis call it that and then sort of um, it gets rejected at a later point it's not ideal of course but in practice i've seen that this does happen on a number of these states that i've handled um, and sometimes um, on the basis of something very small to to the to the normal person's eye on the street so it, it seems that it's really just a question of not having signed the the document properly and now the the estate is is intestate and he wants to know if he can contest it well of course you can but then you have to bring an application to the high court which which means that the high court will then also examine all the documents and probably call witnesses that would have been present at the signing of the will and all of that to determine the authenticity. So the key thing here is to, even if you haven't complied with all the formalities, in this case, the making of the mark with the um, Commission of Oaths also pending their signature, if that didn't happen, then you need to prove the authenticity of the document. So think about people who may have seen the deceased sign it, who are those witnesses in addition to the Commission of Oaths, 
to call them, ask them did they sign this, did they discuss the will with anyone before they died, and all of that. And yes, that's the only way in which you can actually contest it and uh, have it devolve in terms of the, the provisions of this will. What did he say here? Something about um, the grandmother's will. I'm just trying to find. He said something about it was supposed to be left to some. Who was it supposed to be left to? It should be shared by the two children of the deceased yeah. and all the grandchildren, of which there are many. But now, surely, even if it, <clears throat> if this is an intestate will, mm. estate, would the two children not automatically get? Yeah. If the grandchildren don't come into it in any event. No, no. Um, you know, the, the, the Intestate Succession Act always works if. When I explain it to clients, also I use the analogy of saying it works in lines. It works on the same line of affinity. So if I um, uh, pass on now, my husband is the only one on the same line as I am, and you will inherit my entire estate if there is no will. If if there are children, then it gets divided between the spouse and the children in a in a calculation fashion. Then if there are if it stops there, then you go up. Then you look at brothers and sisters and then parents and all and so on and so forth until no one is essentially left. But where you, where you uh, work in a line of, let's say, brothers and sisters, the representation really comes in or the, the grandchildren or those on the line below only come in when one of those above, in other words, the brother or the sister, have predeceased you. So then their children step into their shoes and get that share. So he says here the two children should have shared this. Fair yes. enough. So they should be the only ones getting something. Yeah, but, but if one or other of the, or both of them have passed on, yes. all their children then, that's where all the children could of come course. in. Of course. Or mm. if originally there were five children, yes. now there are only two that are left, uh, and the rest are predeceased. Then, of course, those children. And remember, it includes adopted children. It includes uh, uh, children that you have with different spouses or different partners. So it needs not be children from a specific marriage either. So yes, it. That's one of the very reasons why we recommend that people ensure they execute a professionally drafted will. So if he it wants really to really avoid situations. So like if David this. wants to contest this, it's going to end up at the high court. He's going to have to get an attorney and it's going to end up costing quite a lot of money. Of course. So all, all is already through the law society by the sounds of this. I mean, this is a, a an estate which um, a letter of authority has been issued, which means it's a small, it's a section 18, yeah. subsection 3 estate, which means that there isn't a lot to go around anyway. Um, and on that basis, I'm quite sure someone from the Law Society would be able to assist on a pro bono basis. Already this eviction of the unlawful occupant clearly already involves the Law Society. And by, by, by logic deduction, I, I can only assume that this then actually does involve a pro bono matter already. Right. Okay, David, it sounds also a bit of a nightmarish situation. But yet again, for all of you listening, if you don't have a will, tomorrow morning... Please go out and make sure you get one. You don't, you don't want to end up in the same situation. Definitely so so get yourselves sorted out. Right. This says, I would like to find out more. If on my will I nominate my spouse as a sole person to cash it in, but I have some children also from my first wife, is there any guidance that she will receive on how to proportionately allocate some funds to all my children or everything? Is, or, or is everything only dependent on her sole discretion? Well, you know, this, this is again one of those... Um, very complicated decisions in life, um, more from an emotional perspective, really. 
Um, from a legal perspective, you you have the Maintenance of Surviving Spouses Act, which makes provision that you cannot disinherit your spouse. Um, also, there's the maintenance provisions relating to children uh, from previous marriages and current marriages also, again, place the onus on you as the parent to, um, although you'll be looking after your spouse, to also look after your children from your current marriage or any previous marriages or previous relationships. And is this only until they come of age or are you still responsible? Usually when they come of age, unless, of course, the child is um, mentally uh, unable to ever be independent themselves from uh, ever be anything but dependent on someone. Um, and, of course, uh, in the case of a child that stays with you past 18 and they are, for all intents and purposes, um, financially dependent on you fully for whatever reason so there are exceptions but generally speaking age of majority is the cutoff so if your intention is to leave everything to your surviving spouse um, and you trust that person that they will look after then of course there won't be a problem however if the previous spouse and the current spouse don't really get along then in my view that is a that is a consideration and that is a bit of a, a recipe for disaster to expect these these people to actually um, take part in, in these mm. arrangements. So a very be a much better idea in my, um, in my view would be to establish a testamentary trust for the children from the previous marriage and then maybe a separate one if that is your wish for the children of the current marriage. And to leave your spouse whatever you wish to leave and then to leave a portion to to both those trusts that means that no spouse current or previous can actually take ownership of any of the funds and maybe not um, manage it the way you want it, it to be managed for the benefit of those children you can appoint people who are absolutely dedicated in doing that so in my view if, if the there's a, a few issues with the dynamics of those relationships with the ex-spouse and the current spouse, then it's much better to rather put that portion in trust for that child. If you don't do that, then of course the mother could, on behalf of those children, bring a claim against your estate for maintenance. So one can't really run away from this. You have to make provision, and if the two don't get along, you have to think about a way in which it would be for the benefit of the children and how you could limit any potential disputes. Right, rather just have it all on paper, rather than leaving yes. it up to everybody else. Okay. Um, Nicholas says, I had a credit card in 1999, and I had a current account. This account had a balance equal to what I owed. Now, 15 years later, there's a, a, legal, a, law, a law company that wants me to pay 11,000 Rand. Is this possible? Unfortunately, we see this every day um, in practice. I can only say to listeners out there, prescription is a period of three years. So three years in w after which your um, claim became due or your, the payment that you had to make became due. Three years after that, it is fully extinguished. And often you find very opportunistic um, debt collectors that try and still collect this the these these funds even though they have pretty much long since prescribed um, in many instances however we must consider that a judgment in court itself 
uh, once that has happened, your prescription period is out the window, so to speak. Once you have a judgment from a court of law, then that judgment stands until it's fully serviced. So again, it's it's um, it depends what it is, but generally speaking, if you don't uh, hear from the creditor within three years after, uh, you should have made your pay payment. They can't um, claim from you 11 years down the line. Right. So, yeah, if you haven't made any attempt to pay or anything, if you've there's been no communication from then to now, just ignore it. Ignore it. Don't even go there. Right. Shark says there was. An, this is actually rather an interesting one. There was an advert in the newspaper from someone who lost a parrot. He said he would pay a reward of five hundred rand to anyone who returned the parrot. I found it and gave it to him. And he said that he refuses to pay me the reward money since when after he placed the advert, he decided that he couldn't care less whether it was found or not. Do I have any legal remedies? Well, first of all, I didn't like the man who didn't want his parrot back. But uh, then he said he would give you 500 rand. You find the parrot. And then he says, oh, well, I actually didn't really care if you found it or not. So now uh, I'm paying you now. It, it, it is a very much a, an interesting question, mm. that, because it's not exactly like gambling, you know. No. It's not It's not exactly like, um, uh, we, we always say in law that if you bet on the horses and you win, and they don't pay you for whatever reason, then you know you have no legal recourse because generally speaking, gambling and anything it's illegal. That, that sort of feels like it is illegal, and and we don't. It's against public morals, you know, loosely translated from yeah. the from the Latin. So this is obviously not a case like that. But if you have your your paper clipping, you could potentially approach the small claims court and try and enforce this claim. Um, the problem is with the newspaper clipping or even a, a poster that someone puts up on a uh, on a notice board or whatever the case may be, you can't prove where that notice comes from. Yes, anyone else could have authenticity. just done it. Authenticity. So mm. it could have been a, a practical joke or whatever the case may be. And that is all this person needs to plead is to say, well, you know, thank you for bringing it back. I mean, eternally grateful to you, but... <laughs> Or taken the stance that this person has, but I didn't place the ad. Or, you know... No, you see, he admits to placing the ad, but after he placed the ad, you, he actually decided he actually couldn't accuse Will he still admit to it when, yeah. you, when you take him to court? So, yeah. you know, that I've got my hat on of, of what people tend to do when, when, <laughs> when they end up in that box. Then, mm. all of a sudden, no, I did not place the ad, and I didn't do this. And, you know, it becomes a he said, she said. So, unless there's some written evidence and emails that substantiates the authenticity of that document and gets that acknowledgement, then of course, why not? It's the small claims court, um, approach them, won't cost you anything in legal fees and I think we'll all be shot. very interested. Yeah, Jacques, if you do take this to the small claims court, do please let us know what happens. We're very keen to know. Um, from Sia says, I, have, I took my car to the garage to fix the brakes and to see why the engine used to switch off while I used to drive. But after I went back after a week to get my car, the mechanic told me the whole engine needed to be changed and I must pay 35,000 Rand. What must I do now according to the law? Can I say that I never asked for the engine to be changed? At no time did the mechanic tell me beforehand that the engine needed to be changed and to ask me how I felt. What happens now? Well, um. I must say this is this is a bit of a confusing um, set of facts. You know, you you have the 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 brakes, and then the mechanic told um, the 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 customer that um, the engine had to be replaced, and that he must pay the thirty five. I can only thousand. I can only assume that this was um, if you read the last few sentences that all of this happened after it had already been fixed. That's I, the only I don't actually know whether <laughs> he actually paid the 35,000 rand. 
Okay, well, you know, it, it, in, in terms of the Consumer Protection Act, you have to, um, in terms of whether you're delivering a service or a set of goods or doing repairs, especially when it comes to uh, mechanics, uh, the, the act's actually quite clear that you have to assess what is wrong, then you have to give the customer a quotation of what it will cost to fix, get the permission, and then fix. So... If the sequence of event went like that, unfortunately, I don't see how there is any claim. Um, unfortunately, this is not the kind of thing you can change your mind about and return. But now, if he didn't in, know and this guy but just... on the flip side, if this guy phoned you and said, okay, so the brakes, you know, that's not really your problem. Um, I fixed your, I replaced your engine now and you owe me 35,000 That seems rand. to be what it and was. And if that is the sequence of events, then of course you can uh, report this to the provincial section of the Consumer Commission. And if that fails to resolve the situation, then you report it to national, to the um, National Consumer Commission. And that's an ombud structure. Um, Presumably you haven't paid the 35000 and your car is still there. I would say that you run a bit of a risk every day that you leave your car. Mm. So many of these guys have fine print within their terms and conditions saying that they have the right to sell your car if you leave it there for X amount of time. So I would actually um, just get some legal advice before with all the facts on the table with someone to assess your, your chances, even if you do end up taking it to an ombud structure, the Consumer Commission, which is um, much more cost-effective than going to court. Um, but before you go that route, I would say to the listeners, just get some advice on all the details, exact sequence, when did it happen, what did you say, what did you um, consent to, and all that. Right. Our last email is from Tina. It's a very long email. I'm not going to read out the whole thing, but basically it's all to do with somebody who defaulted on debt counseling, on a debt counseling restructured payment due to unemployment. And mm. I think due to all of this, they weren't paying the mortgage on the house. Mm. And in the meantime, but there was a whole lot of stuff about they were phoning the bank and talking to different people and nobody seems to be able to be doing the right thing. And they said they couldn't help them. And then they kept referring them to someone else. And backwards and forwards, it was in writing and verbal discussions it was it sounds like an absolute nightmare and then yeah. on the morning that this email was sent um they basically they declined to reinstate the debt review and referred them to, again to someone else and then somebody else then informed them that because they left everything so late this is after they've been fighting this now for months um they'd actually sold the house and told them that they could only cancel the sale if the client pays 65,000 rand mm. and apparently this is an elderly couple and they don't have um it's the, the client the elderly parents and the rest of the family don't have 65,000 rand. Mm. What do they do now? I mean, this is, she says, probably 12 months attempt to resolve the issue with six different employees at the bank. And they have all the records of the correspondence via email. I mean, what? I, I would actually um, approach the Law Society to appoint an attorney who can also then um, approach the Bar Council. What about the Banking Ombud? To banking Ombud. Could the banking ombud can't make an award for damages, which is why I, of course, it can't hurt to to pursue it on both fronts. Um, but you know, in terms of of the negligence that that is clearly illustrated, and you know, being being sent from one person to the next, of course, one can report that to the banking ombud. But the banking ombud can't test evidence and cross-examine and make a make a ruling on on damages. They can at most. Um, you know, discipline the institution involved. So, 
yes fair enough you can go to to both but if you already have to go to court you may as well deal with everything holistically mm. there um so I would approach the the law society to get an attorney appointed on a pro bono basis who can then also make arrangements with the bar council for an advocate on the same basis. One will have to look how the debt review process was instated, why it was not reinstated, where the negligence really lies. In many instances, these, uh, with with the utmost respect, many of the, the debt counsellors do not follow the process um, as they should they there are very strict time limitations on each step of the way and often this doesn't get followed which means that the bank or institution acting here is acting completely within their legal rights to do what they do the other thing about these big institutions is once it goes into a sale of execution or sell in execution rather then it goes to the legal department. And the legal department in this bank or institution outsources this to a legal firm. And once that has happened, no one within the bank can help you anymore. And they should have told you that. Yeah. <clears throat> As you said, negligence seems to be the order of the day here. So, so contact the Law Society and ask for a lawyer to be appointed pro bono. And I think assist. you need to unpack the whole thing from the email correspondence with all these role players within the bank right through to the debt review process, who did what, why was it not reinstated, and so on. Right, some calls now. Aldrich in the Northern Cape, good evening. Good evening, you guys, how are you doing? Fine, thank you, how are you? How can we help you, Aldrich? Fine, I just want to ask something. I recently got divorced, and um, my former wife and myself was staying in the same house together, just right after the divorce. So I went to Cape Town for a course. Uh, I'm also in the in the journalism industry. Um, I went to Cape Town for a course, and when I came back, I found the house empty. Um, during the uh, divorce uh, time, there was no indication from whosoever whatsoever telling us, you must take one spoon, you can take the bed, you can take whatever, whatever. There was none such things. Mm. Um, she is staying with her parents now, and all my furniture has been shared between her, her brother, her sister, because everywhere I come, I recognize my stuff. Um, recently, what happened is that um, she's been having very, very bad manners with, with me, shouting, what, 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 swearing, and so on, and it's even going to an extent where she's denying myself to see my kids. So what can I do in that way? Oh, goodness. Sorry to hear this. Um, well, usually when you get divorced, the, the court actually makes an order regarding the division of the assets. Now, if you were married in community of property, it's usually a straight split down the middle, as they say. Um, if you're not, then... You take what what you um, what you can prove is yours in a nutshell. So, the, you must just have a bit of a look at the divorce order. It usually does divide the the property. It obviously won't make reference to spoons and to right, well, I mean, couches and so on. <clears throat> yeah. um, but you know, it won't go into detail. It will be pretty clear cut to say you are hereby granted a divorce and the 
property is to be divided equally between the parties. It's usually something along those lines. So maybe one can, that's the starting point, just check what your divorce order actually makes provision for. Um, when divorces involve minor children, there is usually a report by the family advocate and it's a very formal process as to visitation and custody and all these things. So, um, and if if one parent who has custody is denying the other one access, then of course you unfortunately have to go back to court and and uh, basically argue the the content of contempt of of the court order. So, in a nutshell, you'll have to get yourself an attorney, um, and I would also recommend that that attorney just helps you with the divorce order and to to um, unpack what you're actually entitled to. So you that see, you yeah. can can see, take your assets back. See, 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 in possession of all the documentation. I want to go do, to do, court do, do, and do. get a copy. Go to the court where you would where um, when you got your divorce granted. Um, you've got your ID number. They can track the file and they can give you a copy. Okay, yeah, I will do that. And that's the starting point. Get a copy of the divorce order and then um, if money is of concern, contact the Law Society so they can appoint you a pro bono attorney. Thank you very much. Good Thanks, luck, Good luck to you, Aldrich. Doesn't sound like a nice situation, but good luck to you. Thank you very much. Good night to you. Thanks for the call. Simon Gela in Soweto, good evening. Good evening to you. Hello. My, mo- my mother died in 1994. Mm-hmm. She had a will. Mm-hmm. And the estate was being, uh, you know, handled by an attorney. Okay. Today, he, st- she, he still hasn't wound up, wound up the estate. I wrote to the Law Society last year in 2013, and they answered me wrongly, but there is a line that says, you know, the last one, can't you take note, therefore, that your complaint has prescribed, and that you can therefore not attend there too. So I've been to this lawyer, I don't know on how many occasions, there's property involved. And one property was sold, and we are three siblings. We thought we would get a particular amount, but he took 27% from each of these amounts that were due to us, and he said it was rates and taxes that he's been paying you know, on this property. Mm. He still hasn't wound up the estate. Then there's a property in, in one of the homelands, you know, that were like yeah. out of South Africa. I've been there about six times to get this clearance certificate. The clearance certificate have, have got a specific number of weeks that it's, you know, it's uh, okay. Then it expires thereafter. Yes. And each time I go to him, then he says I must go and get a, a, another. I've done it about five or six times. So now I've just given up. I just don't know what to do. Oh goodness! Now this definitely does not sound. Um, this 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 definitely does not sound um, correct. So I I would really recommend that you um, hire yourself another attorney that can investigate this because one will have to look into all the documents, probably uplift the file with the master's office, see what has been done, what has not been done, go to do a full investigation to, to sort of find out where, uh, where things have really gone wrong. I mean, it doesn't take so long to wind up an estate, even if it's in, in one of the old uh, traditional homelands. It's was this an attorney that was dealing with this, Amangele? Yeah. Was this was an attorney that was dealing with yes, all of this? Can she not contact the law society? Yeah, already did. Oh, and, and oh, that's right. Did, yes, yes, I didn't. I was. Yes. Yeah. 
it's it's very strange to me that the law society has advised you that your claim has prescribed yeah, that's what I because this out. is a estate that is still open, which means it's not uh, it's not quite the same as when the estate has been closed off. And now you've waited for you know in excess of of ten years to to say that you're dissatisfied with something. Um, it's it's not quite like that. So even even the law society's ruling, I I don't I don't quite. I don't quite follow how they could have made such a ruling. Did, you, did they tell you this, Simangeli, or did they tell this attorney this? This is a letter that they wrote to me because I wrote oh, they to wrote the it society you. complaining about the estate that is not being wound up. Mm. There's a paragraph in this letter which says, furthermore, take note that in terms of Rule 68.4 mm. of the Rules of the Law Society of the Northern Provinces, mm. an attorney is required to retain his books of account for at least five years from the date of the last entry recorded day in. So I don't know whether it's because that five years has last. I really don't know. I missed my wit's end. No, I, I must say the way in which um, I interpret those regulations, I'm quite aware of them, um, is that you need to, at conclusion of a matter, you are obliged to keep records for five, or if you're a notary, seven years. Um, but the point being that the matter has not been closed off. Um, the matter has not been concluded. So it's not a claim because you are dissatisfied with the conclusion of the matter, and which is why I'm, I'm saying I, I don't think um, I don't think that that is a necessarily an accurate decision. I, can I, I mean, I'm, I'm very big on conspiracy theories here. You don't somehow think maybe the attorney has closed off this estate and helped himself to something, and now the estate's actually closed and she just doesn't know it. It could very well be. That's why I think it would be quite useful to appoint an attorney of your own mm. that can do a proper investigation of, A, what is going on in the master's office on the state file, what has been done, what has not. If needs be, go to the deeds office, check what has been done, what has not. And then thirdly, to check all the accounting re uh, relation to this. If rates have been paid repeatedly, it's a phone call away to to obtain those historical payment records from the council um to at, at very least up until the early 2000s when when the municipal regulations changed in 2001 so probably you'll have a bit of a, a period between 1994 and 2001 that may or may not be completely accurate but anything after that they'll most certainly be able to to give you information about Simangeli, you might have to be a play detective for a bit because it i mean this is just me with my own funny ideas here and i'm not saying this is what happened but it sounds like possibly this attorney has closed off the estate and maybe helped himself to whatever was in it and that's, that's why my suspicion that's my suspicion because there's also cash involved you know my mother had a bank account mm. i i really so think my advice to me is to to hire a, a, another attorney to yes. investigate this other one because and, and also you can go to the deeds office and go and have a look to see whether this estate has been closed because if the estate has been closed that means he's closed it without telling you and helped himself to what was in it yeah deeds office and master's office and all you need is the id number whose id number your mother's, your mother's yeah. id number Oh, my number's ID number. Yes. That has code. That has code. Yeah. So, so I must go to the deeds office. And the master's office, the master of the high court. Because and the master of the high court. The master of the high court, that's where you'll find all the accounting related to the estate. So all everything that they would have collected, everything they would have apparently paid, all of that. 
Okay, thank you very much. I'll go to the All the best. Tomorrow. Simangeli, if the, if you do find out what happened to this, do let us know. I'm very, now I'm I feel like I'm a detective now. I want mm-hmm. to know what happened. I will let you know definitely. I, I hope will. you can sort this out. It sounds yes, very suspicious so to me. I. It sounds very suspicious it, to me. Even I I must say, and, and you know, no offense to our professional body or to challenge them in any way, but um, it doesn't sound like whoever made the ruling had properly considered the complaint. But, you know, I, I may be wrong in that regard, but I think it's worth referring back to them and writing back to them as well to say, you know what, um, I don't agree with you. Um, this has not prescribed because this is not finished. You, this, this estate, to my knowledge, has not been closed off and therefore the attorney must still be in possession of the documents. It's not within the, the five-year storage period yet because it hasn't been concluded. So maybe the, the complaint was just not read properly or understood properly. It could be a very innocent mistake. But I think it's worth your while to write back to the Law Society in addition to your investigation. Oh, thank you very much for your advice. Good luck, Simangele, and I look forward to hearing from you some good news. Thank you. Thanks. Have a good evening. Bye-bye now. Right, Rodney in Whitbank, good evening. Good evening, ma'am. Hello, how can we help you, Rodney? Uh, Ma'am, my my, my problem is similar to ovaries. Let's go the same thing. We have been divorced, and we stay together in the house. Mm -hmm. And waiting to discuss how we are going to share the assets. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, while I was going to to visit for one day, and she gave me a phone call to tell me that I must move out of the house because the new tenants want, the new people want to move in. And I said to her, how can she do that without letting me know beforehand? Mm. She said, no, she's already decided that the tenants must come in. I said, that will be the day. And I, I had to rush quickly back home to see what was happening. And when I got at home, I found everything was gone. She took everything. Sure. And she moved into her brother's house. Her brother had moved to another place in Pretoria, out of Whitbank. Now, when I tried to confront her, she actually went to the police station to get a case so that I can stay away from her. Uh. Now, I did stay put, and I didn't make any move to get out of the house until I received letters from the court, that I, from an attorney somewhere, mm-hmm. that I should move out of the house. The new people want to move in. Mm. And I said, no, I let me wait for the date and see what will happen. Mm. And when I went to court on that date, then the magistrate asked me, do I know that the house doesn't belong to me anymore or my ex-wife? I said, no, I don't know anything about it. He said, well, these people, they got everything, the papers and everything. I said, now, I haven't given any consent to all those things, so I, I'm not aware that I gave consent of my part in it. Then they said, are you aware that it's a letter that has been written, that you have given the consent to the house to be sold? I said, no, I'm not aware of that. Then they postponed the letter till that letter can come out. And I went back to court again. And the letter was there. And when a magistrate showed me the, the letter, I saw this letter had been typed. And it's got my ID number and it's got my name on it. Mm-hmm. But the signature, they tried to make it similar like mine. Then I look at this letter, I told the magistrate, no, this is not my signature, and I never drawn up a letter like this. I'm not aware of this letter. They said, no, this letter is what the the, 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 or the people who sold the house, who bought the house. Mm. I said, well, I don't know just that letter. 
Well, then the magistrate said, no, well, he can't now actually uh, any further on that. But what he does know, this house doesn't belong to me or my wife. I had to move out. But that's fraud, surely. Yeah, yeah that's correct. That's, that's correct. And he said to me, well, my matter would be another matter. I must go and up a, 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 a criminal case against my wife. Mm. But, but I have to move out mm. so that these, these people can move into the house. Now, I think you must definitely, um, well, first and foremost, appoint yourself an attorney. Well, ma'am, let me take care of it further. Okay. I went to the attorney to get some advice about the matter. Yes. And I explained him the matter. He told to me, first, he can't take on the case, but I had to get a successful criminal case against my against my ex. Mm-hmm. And then I can have a certain matter after that with him that he can do for me. Yes. Now, the thing is, in, in, in this case where I'm not involved with the police, the doctor has been lost. There is too much mm-hmm. delay in this case. It's almost seven years left. Oh, my goodness. That long oh, wow. ago. Wow. It's almost seven years that I'm running up and down. And each time, it's a new investigator and new commanders are involved with this. Oh, okay. Okay. okay the last time I went to, to the then the same is my court, my doctor is at court. So I went to the prosecutor and asked him about my file. Because I went to the police station first and asked them, what happened to my file? They said, no, the case is closed. I said, that's so. I said, by whom? They said, no, go to the court and find out. Then I went to the court. I spoke to the prosecutor. He went there on his computer. He said, no, I must go and get a docket first. And get the docket. The docket must get to his office. To his office. And then I must come back to you. Up till now, the doctor is missing them. Oh. Well, can't you do another one? I mean, I, I don't know how this works. I think maybe, third, maybe this... is the third time, then. Oh, my goodness. Roddy, this sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. The third time, the doctor gets missing. Now, today, I went there again because I said I'm sick and tired of speaking to the command, the branch commander, he's senior, and, and there was a previous, there was a station commander, which I also spoke to, and there's a new one. Now I need to speak to a provincial commissioner of the police, because nobody here can help me mm. see to my case. Is this yes. something you can report to IPUD, is the Independent Complaints Directorate? Um, you know, I actually don't work too much in, in this space, but maybe it's something that one could direct to, to uh, your guest next week. Yeah, Rodney, yes, on, yes, on the show next week, yes, sir. I've got an, a criminal lawyer, a William Booth, and he deals with criminal law, and that he's yes, going to be on the show next week. Yes, sir. So yes, maybe ma'am. if you call in next week, he'll be able yes. to give you some advice because this yeah. is his field of ex- – this is what he does. I mean, he's a criminal lawyer. And yeah. you've trying to deal with a criminal case. So maybe if no. you call in the show next week or we've got your phone number, would you like us to call you during the show next week and you can talk to him? That will be fine then. So we'll give you yeah. a call next week, Rodney, and then you can chat with him because just, this is a criminal just, case. Just, 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 just something for that. Uh, I, I don't know how it happens one can get a power of attorney because I believe my wife has been granted power of attorney through that letter. Hmm. To sell, to sell, to sell the house. No, that you know, in, in many divorce orders, again, th- this is the only, uh, only piece of advice maybe I can share with you before you, uh, sp- uh, before we get you on the line during the next show. Um, but usually, in your divorce orders, you have a call it a bit of a fine print or hidden clause that most attorneys usually include if they draft the divorce order to say that if. The property must be sold and you don't sign 
um, within X days or on demand within X days or whatever the case may be, you know, either party, the husband or the wife, ex-husband or ex-wife, then you, they empower either the registrar of the high court or the sheriff to sign on your behalf. Oh, well, that doesn't so deal, if on, that that if, deal on my, that deal on my court order. Okay. On order. I haven't seen Good. it. Good, because that's the only way in which they can sort of say, but you know, we did have the authority to get someone else to sign on your behalf. But they can't forge but, a signature. No, of course not. Um, so now, the police have sent my signature to, to forensic. Yes. Now they can't make a conclusive uh, outcome to say it is mine or not mine. Oh, my. Yeah, they can't change. No, I think you need to really take up the opportunity next week. This is a valuable one. And, okay. and just run this by the expert then. Um, I don't I don't deal with these matters enough. Or in fact, I haven't dealt with any criminal matters in many moons. Um, okay, that that I, I won't really be able to give you much more than generalized advice. So, so Rodney, we'll give you a call next week and you can talk to the attorney then. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks, Rodney. Good we'll speak to you bye. next week. Bye-bye now. Bye. Right, our last call for the evening. Fran in Johannesburg wants to talk to Nicolene about her favorite topic, <laughs> wills. Hi, Nic- uh, Fran. Good evening. Yes, hi. Um, what is the position when a property in a will mm-hmm. is wrongly described and is actually pertains to the property next door? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh. oh, my. No, oh, that That... Hopefully never happens in an ideal world, but what what I personally always do with my wills that I draft is I describe it in terms of the earth number and I also add the the physical street address and hopefully it then identifies the property, but it's actually... If the person hasn't, uh, if the deceased didn't leave a number of properties with similar descriptions, um, it's quite easy to also establish the the, the proper description well, what happened by just to you, doing Fran? a deeds office search. Well, what happened to you? The whole thing is the property is a remaining extent of a, yes. a um, an earth. Yes. And the remaining extent was left out. Mm-hmm. Which means that it was actually the property next door. Okay, which does not belong to the person or exactly. does? Exactly. No, well, then, then um, you know, of course, errors happen. And it's it's quite easy to just go to the deeds office and to, uh, on the ID number of the deceased, to pull the correct property description of, of that. And what the heirs will then do is just to consent to the error being corrected. You can't inherit something that doesn't belong to you. Exactly. So it's it's uh, it's going to be a, a bit of a technical administrative exercise to correct, but it's fairly fairly simple to correct. Oh, good. Are you having any problems trying to do this, Fran? No, it's theoretical at this point. Oh. Um, because it's been spotted in time. Oh, I see. Luckily. <laughs> but I was just interested in, you know, sort of, had this, in fact, not been spotted, what would have been the outcome? No, I think um, usually when it's when it's such a clear error, it's fairly simple to correct. But the problem comes in when people, and, and I've, I've dealt with a number of similar matters, where the, the remaining extent and the extent are switched around and they belong to the same person. And the 
the pe person who is actually inheriting knew which portion they would be inheriting of that subdivided property. And now, in some instances, it happens that the one who thought they'll get the big portion gets the small portion and the other way around. And that's when these errors become uh, something to really consider and something to to really have to deal with. It's um, of course, then there are disputes and all sorts of things that go mm. along with it. And you have to prove what the real intention was. So if it's not a, a clear error where you can really see, oh, okay, it can't be the one next door because, hey, that didn't belong to the deceased. So we'll we'll just do, we'll pull a record and we'll, we'll have evidence that we put forward to correct it. Um, you know, then, then it becomes quite a sticky situation. Well, well spotted, Fran. Anyway, thanks very much. <laughs> thanks. thanks for the call. Good night to you. Thanks. <clears throat> Interesting <laughs> question, though. I mean, because as you said, there could end up being a whole big squabble at the, yeah. you know, after the will's been read. Exactly. And I thought I was getting the big piece, and I, you know, now I'm getting the small piece. And, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make for pleasant uh, family, not. family relationships not. after that. So it's always very important that when you, when you sign your will, dot the I's, cross the T's, um, have, check it through even if, the, the person who's drafted it for you has also checked it. Da check it again. Errors can happen in a split second. And like it can Fran be just something said. where you just switch the earth numbers, digits around, or something something innocent that can cause a whole range of trouble. Which you don't really want. Definitely. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skumanlo, Director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries, Public Practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report Program. And we'll be running legal clinics like this one. We normally run it on the second Monday of every month. And Nicolene would have been back with us again next month on the 10th of November, but you're writing exams. Yes. <laughs> so I will not be here on no, the 10th, so unfortunately. No, she'll, she'll, <laughs> she'll be here on the 17th instead. We're not going to lose her completely for November. Just that we'll swap around. We normally have a general, uh, some other topic on the third Monday, but now Nicolene will be on the third Monday, the 17th, and we'll have something else, surprise, for the 10th. So wait and see what that is. So we'll see you again on the 17th. Thank you so much. Thank you, and good luck with the exams. Thank you. Rather you than me. <laughs> At this stage, I want to say rather anyone else than me, but I'm, I'm sure it'll be past the exam fine. writing thing. So, <laughs> so what, what are you writing, just as a matter of interest? What are you writing? Um, I'm busy with a postgraduate diploma in financial planning, which oh, nice. uh, has okay. aided me quite, quite well with the state planning mm. and the wills that I do. Um, so it's the last stretch. Hopefully, I can. Uh, a friend said um, the other day that they they will be writing their last exam ever in their lifetime. So I'm hoping I'll be able to say that when <laughs> I am on air again on the 17th. Well, good luck. We wish you, we wish you much success and good Thank luck with you. the exam. And as I said, rather you than me. Thank you. Right. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And just a reminder, there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za. And then I'll send you a copy of the list and you can choose what you want. In next week's program, I'll be joined in studio by criminal law attorney William Booth. So if you have any questions relating to criminal law, you can join me then. And it would just have been a few days after the final verdict and the judgment and what the sentencing is mm. of Oscar Pistorius. So if you have anything to say about that, you're welcome. I'm sure William will be only too happy to chat about that. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 20th of October. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening, just after nine, with our monthly Health Matters phone-in. And this month, we'll be focusing on your eyes. It's Eye Care Awareness. 
Awareness Month. And my guest tomorrow night will be ophthalmologist Dr. Pierre Fouquet, so join me then. Well, Stephen Kirk is up next with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.